There's only one truth. It's right here. There's only one faith. It's right here. If you can't splinter and we can't have division among ourselves in order to keep this pure. The people of faith must preserve to the end by resisting or being misled or being influenced by teachings, what people say, what people do. So in Jude, I'm going to start in verse 3. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We're the saints. For the certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into, into sensuality and denying our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Crept in unnoticed. Think the last week, Friday. The apostles didn't know it was Judas. He was among them. He went unnoticed, but yet he was the one who betrayed Jesus. Jude's appeal was to contend for the faith. Jude strongly urges his contreter, his readers, to contend for one faith against the subversive teachers. I would additionally submit that we should also be looking at people's actions. Anaya. His actions were admirable. He didn't do it. He didn't do it for any good benefit. But what actions are we watching that's also influencing our lives? You know, several years ago, actually many more than several years ago, when politics come around, you hear all types of things. People like to spin the truth. This person's the Antichrist, whatever. I can tell you, and I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican, they're selling you a bunch of lies, both sides. Go back, be a Christian. And yeah, we're not going to tell you here not to vote. I'm going to actually urge you to vote. But you vote according to what's here, not according to what somebody says. Sorry, that gets on my soapbox. <laughs> There's a couple of soapboxes I have, and that's one of them. But they all lie to you. Sorry. Um, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, I can feel my heart rate raising. <laughs> Yeah. But the enemy loves to distract us, and they're going to find whatever that is. And it's going to start with just a little thing here, and this little thing's going to get bigger and bigger. And by the time you realize it's, you're into it big time, and we're going to look at one of those here in a little bit. So the first talking point is, how do we avoid the false teachings? I'll open it up. Anybody have something they want to share? We know the true teachings. Very good. True teachings, what he said. Yeah, don't buy into it. I don't know where that came from. That's a huge one. <laughs> testing. 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 Yeah, we're all going to get tested. Get off of social media. Right. Get off of social media. Yeah, get off of social media. <laughs> That's huge. Surround yourself, with good Surround yourself with good people. People that are willing to speak honestly into your life, to hold you accountable. So if you are distracted or you are following a false teaching, they'll stop you and speak truth into your life. Realizing that if somebody's done that to you, they're doing it out of love. It's not out of hurtful thing. They're speaking out of love. 
So if you are listening to a podcast or reading an article or book, do you know if there's false teaching? And that's what I said. There's a lot of scripture that has a lot to be interpreted, and we're going to talk about interpretation here in a little bit. But I would encourage you that whatever you hear, whatever they're using, whatever they're quoting, go back. Look it up for yourself and read it. So part of this, as you're looking at false teachings and so forth, and the reason I went back, because I use two Bibles for the most part. I use an ESV and I use an NASB. Um, the NASB uses the term discipline as it talks about training yourself. And in this case, discipline is not a bad thing. Discipline is, and from an athletic perspective, is self-training. So I, nobody has to do this. Well, I want you to do it, but nobody has to share. So how many people went to the gym this week? Probably took 15 minutes, maybe back and forth to the gym. You spend an hour at the gym, hour and a half, maybe longer. <laughs> so if you spend an hour and a half in the gym, and you went four days, that's six hours you've committed to going to the gym with your, or with your drive time and so forth. So my question, though, is, according to the scripture we just read, godliness is a bit more important than your, your bodily training, did you spend six hours with Jesus? Did you spend six hours reading your Bible? Responding and journaling. So I just challenge you with that. First Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. If you jump over to 2 Timothy 4, 3, if you want to turn there. I'm just going to read the one verse. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled by what they accumulate for themselves, teachers in accordance with their own desires. So are you following somebody because maybe they align with your political views? I go back again and ask you, why are you doing it? Have you filtered it through the right cross? Going back. You're going to the gym often, hopefully. Not a bad thing. But are you renewing your faith daily? Are you spending time in the Word? Spend that quality time with Jesus. Now I go back, and I'm going to... This is just an example, and I did purposely choose an extreme one. I could have chose one that was a little more controversial. <coughs> But back in the 70s, there was a gentleman by the name of Jim Jones. So you may or may not know who he is, depending upon your age. Talk with your parents, young ones, before you go look it up. Um, but he had what they called the People's Temple. And over many years of his teaching, he gathered quite a following. They all ended up, I believe it was in South America. And unfortunately, they all listened to him. And if they didn't listen, they held a gun to their heads while they drank the Kool-Aid, per se, or drank the, the punch that was laced with cyanide. So I challenge you, don't follow something with blind obedience. That drink the Kool-Aid is that blind obedience. You're just accepting the faith. You're accepting what somebody tells you. You don't believe what I'm standing up here today? I would encourage you to go read the Bible. What Jeff shared this morning or what Doug, when we go back to Romans next week, will share. 
Read it. Don't stand up here. We can help you understand it, but you should have to understand that for yourself. Going back to the Jim Jones. And I'll, let me go back one more, because this one I actually found very easy. So everybody knows who Isaac Newton is. So Isaac Newton, father of calculus, physics, gravity from this morning. Um, most probably don't know, he spent the later part of his years purposely studying the Bible to try to figure out when end time was. Now his prediction, and it's just a prediction, and I like the way he did it, will not occur before 2060. I'm telling you still, don't listen to him. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that, we are re that are revealed to us and to our children belong to us forever, that we may do the words of the law. Matthew, and that's just not an Old Testament. Matthew says, or in Matthew, Jesus says the same thing. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in the heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. One of the things that really stepped out as, you, as I did this and prepared and I talked with Doug and some others as we were thinking is what's in the Bible, what is clear in the Bible is what matters. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus died for our sins. There's only one way God, and that's through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Plain, simple. There's no cloud, there's nothing to figure out, but it's clear. What isn't clear is when the end time is. So don't worry about it. Just be prepared. You know, there's lots of parables in there that Jesus talks about, whether it's the lamps or the virgins. Be prepared. That's all he wants from us. Deuteronomy 12.32 says, Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. Do not add to it or take from it. Don't add to the Bible. Don't tell me when the end time is coming. Just be ready for when it comes. Hopefully it's sooner than later. So, all of that gets us to interpreting the Bible. So there's 66 books in the Bible that was written over 1,500 years by various authors. There's also many versions of the Bible and updates to those versions year after year. So you can have an NASB that may be version 2, 6, 7, whatever. doesn't matter. They do that because wording and grammatical things change over time. So, I'll just use an example. I tell you, that's bad. Well, back in my day, many years ago, bad was a good thing. But bad before that was a bad thing. So they changed the words. So really understand what you're reading. You know, the... Understand the context of your Bible. Understand what version you're reading. So when I started this 45 plus years ago, I was working out of a, I think it was called the Living Translation. It was a paraphrase of the Bible, which was good because first Bible they handed me was a King James. I don't know if anybody's read a King James, but that's kind of hard even today for me. And it was one that got me started to reading the Bible. Now I will admit I didn't stay with it until about 15 years ago when I got much more in depth. I don't use my paraphrase Bible today. I used to leave it sit on my desk when I worked as a way to, for me to introduce the gospel. I was a manager. I couldn't bring it up. But if you came in, started talking about what was on my desk, I could talk. So it was just it was a good tool for that point. Now I say that. So I do use. So if I'm sending a Bible verse to somebody, 
I do take another version. And I look for things that maybe they understand, because maybe they're not in their walk where I am in my walk. And I don't want to confuse them. I want to lead them to Christ. So I will use other versions. And you don't have to go out and have many versions. They're out there. You can go to Bible Gateway. You can go to Blue Letter Bible. They're there. You can type in your verse you're looking for, and it will give you all the various translations. So there's ways to do it. I have no idea where I was at. Um, so the requirement. So God gave us all the ability to read. And he gave us all the desire, should give you all the desire to read and understand the Bible for ourselves, which is where I was a few minutes ago. In Jeremiah 31, in verse 33, it says, I will put my law with them, and I will write in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Well, how does it get to your heart? Okay, on social media, which is not necessarily a good thing. I saw a few days ago, there was this little kid, and he was... He was flipping the page and doing this, and then turning the page. He was trying to intake what he was reading because he hadn't been prepared. Not going to work. Sorry. I wish that was the case, or if you slept on your Bible, or if you slept, it would all just osmosis go into your brain. doesn't work that way. The only way you're going to learn what's in that book is to read it and create your relationship with Jesus. That's all it is. There's no other way to do it. Me standing up here is not going to get you into put it on your heart. I'm not going to sit here and be able to tell you everything that's in there and let you interpret it for yourself. You've got to let the Bible pierce you. You've got to let it cut through you. In John 4, 24, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let the spirit that he's put inside you and the truth that's in this book pierce you. Interpretation takes time. I understand much more out of this book today. This is the one I started probably 15 plus years ago than I did when I started. Um, we all have a, the ability to read it and understand it. The basic things, what's essential, what's important, easy to get. But there also remains some interpretation that's much more in depth. Not the end of the times, but just in depth. Doug has spent f almost four years now, a couple of weeks, people, he will be graduating. <laughs> His family definitely think hallelujah. But, but he did it because he wanted to do more. He wanted to be able to share more. He wanted to understand more for us. It wasn't a personal objective. He was trying to make himself better for us. Anyways, that's a side joke. That wasn't in my notes, by the way. <laughs> um, but there's people who spend lots of time. Ask Doug. He studied Hebrew. He studied Greek. I don't know if he did Americ or not, but you have to get to that. You have to understand what's going on in the world when these were written, what was going on in history. All of that will filter in and help you understand some more of the technical things that are going on in the Bible. So, do I have that knowledge? No. But I can look up Hebrew and Greek on the computer. So there is good stuff in it. Not that I do it a whole lot. I usually typically use my English version Bibles and bounce them off one another. But I say all of that because it's important to understand what you're reading and what you're doing, what you're explaining to your kids. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, And these words I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently, diligently sorry, to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, 
when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You're to teach your kids. You're to model it for your kids. Does your kids even see you reading your Bible? Do you get up early? And therefore, they're up and put it up. Encourage you, leave it out. Let them ask questions. Share with them what you read that day. Interpretation is also a spiritual task. This isn't a lifeless text. This isn't just black and white. You know, if you, Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. When you read your Bible, I'd also encourage you to respond. This was something that I wished I would have done from the beginning, only because so much in my first few years isn't documented anyplace except in my head. I know I read it. I knew I'd find and go back. But once I started journaling, one of the things I found out is a verse stands out to me. But why? As I read through that verse and you start journaling, don't, sometimes I don't know what I'm going to write. I just start writing whatever God's putting on my heart. By the end of time, I'm in my journal. It's, I understood what God was trying to say. He will let you know it's a two-way conversation, but you have to meet him there. So going back to context, and we've heard both Jeff and Doug get up here and talk about it. The context in which you read a, read a verse is key. You have to look at what's coming before, what's coming after. You know, I think they said, the words they use is, why is this verse in this chapter? Why is this chapter in this book? Why is the book in the Bible? You look at how it builds. So I'm going to share. So there was... In Luke 17, 5, the apostle said to Jesus, increase our faith. Sounds like a really good request. Increase my faith. Jesus' response was, merely, you just merely need the faith of a mustard seed. So if you look at it in the whole context of it, where increase my faith sounds like a godly request, the fact that he says you need the faith of a mustard seed. Mustard seeds are real small. He was telling them, you just need to have some faith. That faith will then build, and it will grow. Not that it's, you don't need to increase our faith. They didn't have the faith. Anyways, take and think. So, question. How do you increase your faith? You have to experience it. You know, I, I will tell you from my days in college and so forth, when I used to tutor... I learned the topic so much more than when I just studied on my own because I had to explain it. So try explaining. We talk about discipleship. Find someone below you. Find someone above you. Let someone tutor you and you tutor someone else. But as you learn and grow within that thing, you will take and share and Jesus will move more in your heart than just reading the Bible. So I encourage you to do that. Which may be part of your gift. You know, whether it's evangelism, whether it's teaching, we all have different gifts. You know, the Bible, when we read our Bible and we develop that relationship with Jesus, that he will give you the timing of when something is right to share. He will provide that opportunity for you if you open your eyes and let it be shown to you. But it starts and ends in here, not by what somebody else says, 
not by what I heard. It begins and ends in here. So let's go to verse 11. Your gifts. Are your gifts leading people to Christ? It starts in verse 11. It says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come again, devote yourself to the public readings of Scripture, to the exhortation, to teaching. And do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teachings. Persist in this, for by doing so will save both yourself and your hearers. Teach these things. Practice these things. These things are your Bible. These things are avoiding the false teachings. Let these things be taught to you. Youth. This one is, when I originally put this message together, or originally started praying through the message for what it was, I really thought the main point of my message was going to be youth. Didn't know what was up there, sorry. Um, but as I really got into it, it was really more so about the Bible and the sound doctrine and the gospel and the false teachings and everything that's going on in our world today. So it kind of shifted. But I still believe this to be hugely important. So youth and why it's in this particular thing, going back to context. So in Greek culture, age and experience was heavily valued. Timothy was probably in his late 20s, early 30s during this time. So typically, he would be looked down upon. But we can all learn something. We heard. I thought it was wonderful because one of the things I have in my notes is to listen to the little ones pray. We had an abundance of little ones pray today. That's pure heart. It's honesty. Again, they're modeling at people. They're modeling at you. They see what you've done, and they're replicating it. We can all learn something from their youthful exuberance. They're uninhibited to express themselves. Do you not pray in here because you're afraid that you can't pray well? I promise I'm one of the worst ones at praying. I, I write stuff out, I practice, because it just doesn't come naturally to me. But we all have different talents. Let them express those talents. You know, I asked Christian to do that reading because as soon as I read this, he was one of the first people that popped into my mind. You know, up at camp as we were doing, sitting around the fire and stuff, he would walk from person to person and just pray for them. He was being led by the Spirit to pray for somebody. I just find that totally amazing. Again, it's one of my weaknesses. I commend him for doing it. I can learn something by watching him. So I, who's probably a whole lot older than him, which I can guarantee that, um, I can learn from watching the younger people do this. You know, last week, Brian shared what Camilla had shared from Resurrection Weekend. I didn't know he loved us that much. Would you even be willing to share that, even if you thought it? We're too much inhibited by our own selves. We get in the way of our own, our own person. So Paul said, teach these things. Practice these things. So I'm going to ask, we have our own living example of this amidst our myth. In our midst, um, we know 
Taylor and Farron, their story and what they're about to embark upon, but I asked them to come up and share it with us as well. Good. Uh, so we were asked to come up and share a little bit about uh, people looking down on you because you're young. Farron and I are both 32, but we are uh, about to launch into full-time ministry as missionaries. But really, our experience in ministry did not start at 32. It started when we were in the seventh grade. We got to go on mission trips over the summer up to the Navajo Reservation outside of Flagstaff with our old uh, church. And man, if you would have asked me then, are you equipped to share the gospel of Christ? I would have told you, uh, no, definitely not. Um, but after two years of us going on that trip, the adult uh, that was running the vacation Bible school flaked, like almost at the last minute, and they needed somebody to step up and take uh, the helm of the vacation Bible school. And Farron and I were asked to do that because we were showing up consistently and we were in the word. And the leaders of that team knew that we were uh, able to meet those two things. We were in the word, we were getting equipped, and we were willing to make sacrifices uh, for, the, for the mission, for the goal. So uh, we're reading out of Timothy right now, and in the next letter, 2 Timothy 3.16, it's one of my favorite verses of the entire Bible. It's that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman may be perfectly equipped, ready to do all good works. I'm a person that thinks in illustrations. And one of the illustrations that, that comes out of that verse, that comes up for me, is um, you look at a police officer with his tool belt, or a carpenter with his tool belt, or somebody in the military with a harness that they carry all of their equipment on. Do you think police officers are wearing those big plastic belts because they're fashionable? <laughs> no, no, is it because to hold up their pants? No, it's to put all of that gear on. How much gear do you, do you have to carry? 50 pounds. He has to carry 50 pounds worth of gear. But each one of those pieces of gear is crucial for him to do his, for him to do his job as a police officer. Can you imagine a police officer taking down a, a culprit and then reaching back and not having handcuffs? What kind of a police officer is that? Or if you know a carpenter uh, goes and pulls out his drill and he just has no idea how the drill works and he has it spinning counterclockwise and he's like, boy, these screws sure aren't screwing in. That's not an effective carpenter. This is our toolkit and this is our training mechanism that shows us how to use those tools. So please, 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 I wanna second what RG was saying, stay in the word. Even if you're young, even if you think, oh no, that's way down the road for me, I'm just a kid, get into this. It will equip you, it will train you for the things that you need to do. And then I just wanted to share a little bit about just something the Lord has been showing me even in this past week. Um, he is just so faithful um, to work in his people's hearts, um, including mine. And there is great reward and obedience. Uh, so as we've started packing, uh, we've deciding what to sell, trying to finalize our budget, purchasing plane tickets to get us down to language school. Um, I've had these moments, if I'm just being really honest, I've had these moments of wondering if we're doing the right thing. Um, I've, I've wondered if we should just wait a few more years. 
um, and be able to save a little bit more money so that we would know that we've had enough um, to live on. In these fleeting moments, I've, I've believed the lie of the world that I would feel free, that I wouldn't have to worry, that I wouldn't feel anxious um, if we just had a little bit more. And um, then in the middle of my kitchen in tears, the Lord was just really gracious to show me my heart. Um, I've made an idol from my wealth, which surprised me, honestly, because we've known that this is something we've wanted to do since we were in junior high. So we've always budgeted like this. We've bought chairs knowing that we would need to put them in storage. We did that five years ago. So I thought that my heart was in a right place, and the Lord is just so gracious and so faithful to show us, to show me those areas where I'm still holding on to things in a way um, that isn't pleasing to him. Um, and what I really started to see um, is that um, freedom isn't found in having more, um, and that if we decided to wait until we had enough, um, that I would only be more enslaved. And so I realized this, and I'm like, Taylor, he's in the other room. I'm like, I need to talk to you. So he comes in, and like he said, he's really good at word pictures. So I'm sharing this with him, and he's like, you know, have you ever seen those Olympic weightlifters? Um, have you seen those wraps they put around their hands? And I was like, I don't know, maybe. So he pulls up a picture, and if you haven't seen them, there are these wraps, and it helps tie them to the bar so that they can lift it better. And, and he's like, that's it feels like we're going to be able to lift more if we just wait and if we have more things, if we have more money, if we have more supplies, we'll be able to do a better job. But really all I'm doing would be tying myself to the things of this world. All I'm doing is enslaving myself and, and tightening that grip. And so there's just, it, just thank you guys for the opportunity to go on mission and to be able to release that. I, I, I'm just so grateful that the Lord showed me and it wasn't until I started giving my life away that the Lord showed me where freedom is found. So freedom is found only in Christ and when I give my entire life over to Christ. And this applies not only to wealth and I've gotten to learn some of that too. And so we've had, I've had to release my grip on every area of my life, my privacy, my job, my family. Um, but this frees me to interact with each of these areas of my life um, in a way that pleases Christ. And so I would encourage each of you to give your life generously. Um, whatever you're giving yourself to, you're tying yourself to. And so just make sure that you're tying yourself to Christ. Thank you. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish that all of you were as am I, as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has an, another gift. So I say that because I didn't have them come up here to encourage you to follow what they did. I mean, follow the process, follow reading the Bible, following being led by God. I'm not saying sell all your stuff and move to another country, which that's what they're doing. But I encourage you just to think through that. They're an example. They're youth. They're in their early 30s, just like probably Timothy was during this time. But where God's plan wasn't for us to all be the same. We all have different gifts. And that's because if you look back, and this was one of the things that hit me last week as we were going through resurrection, not just the weekend, but the leading up to it, is it said Christ's gifts. 
And as I sat and read through each of those gifts, Christ is the only one who demonstrated them all. He was a teacher. He was an evangelist. He told them where to go get their funds or what to go into the city. He did it all. Everything that was in there, he did. Um, so don't, and I say all that, so don't neglect your gift you have. So my gift is a little bit different. I'm a numbers guy, and I don't mean just money. I see weird things in numbers. I can find patterns and different things. Um, but when I was originally asked, back in West Valley days, about joining the finance team, you know, I, my first reaction was, sure, this is what I do. But I also thought I needed to pray. I needed to have a biblical response as this was where God was calling me. And that came for me, came out of Romans 12. And you're not going to see finance or, well, you'll see generosity, but it's from a different perspective. And it says in Romans 12, 4 to 8, for, we, for as we in one body have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are all one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service and in servicing. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does act of mercy with cheerfulness. Like I said, that's what that verse or series of verses is just what spoke to me, to use the gift I had to help West Valley at the time and to what we are doing here today. Um, so one thing Farron and Taylor didn't bring up, or you heard it a little bit, was money. Yeah, they've been saving money and so forth. So I have been talking with them, that's my gift, about some of their monies. So Cross Train is committed as a church. We're going to give them $500 a month to start them out. And you think, yeah, good. Well, they need more. The last numbers I saw was about, for both their living and to operate the feeding center, was about 6000 a month. So they have a ways to go. So I would encourage each of you, just pray about it. See if helping this young couple go to expand the gospel in another country is something that you would be willing to do. In 2 Corinthians 8.13, Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, have overflown in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And I'm not asking, and I know they wouldn't want somebody to go in debt for what to do. But I just ask you to pray about it. See where God leads you. So I'm going to invite the music team back up. And we're going to finish with this little bit. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 7 says, Now there were a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There were a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So everything we have, everything we do, time, talent, and treasures is all from God. And it's for the common good. So how are you using it? So let's pray.